Luke chapter 18. Now, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 10. I hope you remember 1 John 5 says this is the record that God has given us eternal life. us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath what? Okay. So somebody says, well, I've got the Son, but I don't have life. Then you're calling God a liar. If I, if I receive Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verse 12 said this, but as many as received him in the past, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that just simply what? Believe on his name. So, by believing on Christ, you receive Christ. He that hath the Son hath what kind of life? Eternal life. He that hath not the Son of God hath no life at all. So, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may... Hope, is that what it says? Hope that you have eternal life? That you know that you have eternal life. So, when we talk about the security of the believer, we're talking about a Bible doctrine. Nobody's nobody's adding, nobody's taking away. We're believing the Bible. But I want to show you an example of this thing, Luke chapter 18. While you're turning there, Luke chapter 18, I want to remind you that we've all sinned against God. Now, we don't like talking about it. As a matter of fact, it's a negative subject to talk about sin, talk about judgment, talk about hell. As a matter of fact, when the Apostle Paul stood before a, a Roman um, governor named Felix, uh, he preached about sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. And Felix trembled. Wasn't happy at all with all of this talk about judgment before God and hell. And and it's not comfortable at all. But it is it is the it is the necessary half of the message of the Bible. The Bible doesn't just tell us that we're good. It doesn't tell us about sweet, wonderful things. It tells us the truth, that we're in trouble with God, that we've sinned against God. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. We're never going to be righteous enough to get into heaven as we are. And by the way, there's no other place for lawbreakers. There's no corner in heaven for lawbreakers. There's no place that we all go to and then get separated and says, well, you know, you guys that aren't good enough, you're over here, and those of you who are good enough are over here. No, no, no. If you're not good enough to go to heaven, you're only going to one other place. What's that place? Hell. All right, which is an everlasting fire, Jesus said. Hell is an eternal death that never finishes. You never, you'll wish, you end up in hell, and I hope you don't, but if you end up in hell, you're going to wish for all eternity that you could die. But you won't. Now, there's a positive message in the Bible that God did something marvelous. He did something to give for anybody on this planet, doesn't matter how messed up or how good they think they are, He can give them eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful, isn't that good news? You know, you appreciate good news when you understand the bad news first. I mean, if the doctor calls you in and you sit down there and the doctor looks at you and says, you've got cancer and you've got exactly three weeks to live, how are you going to feel? That's the bad news. And he says, by the way, next door, just go down the street, go down to that next clinic over there, and they'll take care of the cancer and get it out of there. Wouldn't that good news make you feel good? Now, if you if you pass by every day, you're walking the dog, and you pass by cancer treatment clinic, you go, well, that's nice. But until it's you that's dying of cancer, that doesn't mean anything to you. But when you understand the good news in relation to the bad news, you love it. So the positive message is that God did something. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it. God offers sinners eternal life. Salvation is once and for all, instant, eternal, and secure. Once a person's been saved, they will remain saved always and forever. Look at your Bible, Luke chapter 18. 
and start down there in verse 11. <clears throat> well, verse 10 says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, that's a very religious man, and the other a publican. Now, a publican was what you call a... a, a, a he was a political uh, connection to the society. He collected taxes for people, for the government. And so he's one of the most hated men in society because he always took more taxes than he had to because he was living off of the the extra. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I am super healthy. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast in deep sorrow and deep repentance. He smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? Jesus goes on and he says, I tell you, this man, Went down to his house. What's the next word? Justified. That means that broken prayer was enough for him to be made righteous before God. You say, but he didn't do anything. Didn't have to. Who was going to do everything? Jesus was when he went on the cross. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house instantly justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself, oh, I'm a good guy. Oh, I'm living it. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Oh, I'm a good religious man. Everyone that lives like that shall be abased or brought low. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So, uh, the good news of the gospel is anybody who is a sinner like that publican can be made right with God in an instant and forever. Amen. Now, what if you sin after you get saved? Are there some sins that are just too much for the, for, for Christ to have paid for? Is there something that, that just Jesus would go, nope, I'm not dying for that. Think about it. Are there some or any sins that you could do after you got saved that Christ will say, nope, you've lost it? That's the question. Is there any way for a believer to lose his or her eternal life? It's not like a crazy question. But many, many Christians struggle with such issues. This morning, I want to try to clear up some more confusion about the eternal security of the believer and let you know he saves, he keeps. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes. Let us just work through any kind of confusion. Just hear the scriptures. Yeah, there are all kinds of people who quote tons of different things. Mainly, they're quoting other people. But when we look at the Bible and we let it say what it says in context, it tells us, that you are the God that justifies the sinner. Justifies, makes right, forgives, adopts the sinner. As ungodly as we are, how could we think that we now have to hold on to it? We have to live it, that we have to be good enough to keep it. That's pride. And there's no pride. God resisteth the proud. The only thing I want and the only thing I cling to, the only thing I trust is Jesus. And even when I don't trust him, he remains faithful. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this message and this thought to your people. Just strengthen our confidence in you, not in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now last week I told you a couple of things. One is, it is impossible to save yourself. It is impossible. Um, it's just impossible for a sinner 
to make up for all the sin and be good enough to go into heaven. You're never going to do it. Might as well quit and, and give up. Uh, it is impossible to save yourself. What it took was for God to step down from heaven, come down to the earth, live under the perfect laws that are absolutely perfect, and then die under the 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 the, the wrath that you and I deserve, and then be buried and rose again, and then offer us a gift. That's the only way you'll ever get saved is if God did it all. The work that brought us salvation, thirdly, I said last week, is the same that keeps us saved. His work was so perfect, it'll keep us saved forever and forever. The only thing to do to be saved is to turn from sin, to decide I'm no longer holding on to that, I'm no longer trusting my friends, I'm no longer trusting my church, I'm no longer trusting my priest, I'm no no longer trusting myself. And you turn to Jesus Christ, you say, I trust him. That's it. And you know the only thing to stay saved is nothing. You don't have to do anything to stay saved. Jesus keeps you saved. Amen? That's it. So, let me give you some more on the background. There are three views on salvation that people sort of get hung up on. And if you can understand where you fit, maybe it might help you. Number one, salvation is a once-for-all-time event where a sinner believes on Christ and is saved forevermore. There's another view that says, Salvation is a change of direction from hell towards God, but it can be forfeited, can be lost by certain extreme sins. There's a third view that says it's none of your business. <laughs> Only God knows who's saved and who's lost, so leave it up to him. Those three concepts are labeled biblical, charismatic, it's kind of also Catholic, and Calvinistic. Which one do you want to be? Those are the only options. If you believe in salvation at all, you either believe it's a one-time event where a sinner believes on Christ and is saved forevermore, or you think you can lose it, and you're in the wrong crowd then. And if you think, well, nobody ever knows whether they're saved or lost, you're back under Calvinism. Now, there are three warnings about salvation. You need to mark these down. Number one, take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Don't neglect so great salvation. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Spoke, speaking and writing about the coming wrath upon sin. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we... What's the next word? All right, so to neglect so great salvation means to put it off. All right? You know, there's some things you can neglect, like that second piece of pie. <laughs> Uh, you can neglect some things and it's quite fine, but there's one thing you can't neglect to get, and that's so great salvation. How are we going to escape the wrath of God if I keep putting off getting saved? That's what he's saying. Don't neglect so great salvation, which was, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, his apostles. Second warning. I mean, the warning is, if you think that you keep putting off, putting off, putting off, getting saved and following Jesus Christ, you think you'll be okay, you're gonna, you're facing the wrath of God. Secondly, don't twist salvation. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. You're in Hebrews, made the right. 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 16. If you go to verse 15, just couple of books to the right from Hebrews, 2 Peter 3, 15, an account, or know, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Hey, 
Aren't you glad the Lord hadn't just judged this world and burned it up to a crisp? The Lord's putting up with stuff because he wants people saved. We understand that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, the Apostle Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, he's also written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of those of these things. He's talking about salvation. In which are some things, would you agree with this, hard to be understood? Are there some things in your Bible that are just hard to understand? So what do you do with them? Listen to what some people were doing. In verse 15, 16, keep going on in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, well, that's a good word, they rest, which means they twist, as they do also other scriptures unto their own what? So they're only ruining their own life. They're not ruining mine. I know what the Bible says, but some people come to salvation and they twist it all up and they make it mean what they want it to mean. And that's not the Bible. The Bible says what it says, and I'm supposed to just agree with what it says. Don't twist it. Anybody ever done that, taking your words and twisted them? Isn't that awful? Don't you hate that? That's not what I meant. (laughs) Well, there's a third warning. Don't abuse salvation, thinking you can live any way you want. Jude, keep going a few more pages to the right. Jude chapter 1 and verse 4. See, throughout... Church history, there have been a lot of people messing with the Bible. Either, I mean, there's one group that just ignores it. There's another one that constantly adjusts it and changes it, makes hell not so bad, makes the cross not so rough, you know, makes heaven, um, you know, open and, and everybody's going there. They twist everything instead of letting the Bible speak. In Jude chapter 1 verse 4 says, There are certain, certain men crept in unawares. I hope they're not in here this morning. <laughs> who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, they're ungodly men, and they turned the grace, the kindness of our God into lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is where it's 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 like uh, disco life. It's like live as you please. Just because God is kind to you doesn't mean you can get away with anything. They turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, and they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They twist, they neglect, and they abuse it. They, 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 they ruin it, saying, hey, God saved me from sin. I now can sin. What? So, three warnings. And there are three proofs of security, and I give you four dozen, but I'm going to give you three of them. Number one, Jesus promises to never leave you. Hebrews, go back to Hebrews, a few pages, chapter 13, verse 4. That should be verse 5. <laughs> I was just writing from memory. Hebrews 13, 5. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you. Well, what if I leave him? That's fine. He's going with you. Do you ever think about, you ever go into a pub again? If you're saved and you enter into that pub, who are you bringing with you? He didn't stop and stay outside of that pub and let you go on in there without him. He has to watch what you watch. He has to hear what you hear. He has to hang around with the words that come out of your mouth. He has to watch you do your sin. He says, I'm not backing out. That's very convicting. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Second promise. He abideth faithful when we're not. Second Timothy chapter 2. Go back to the left. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. We'll go back to verse uh, 11. 2 Timothy 2, 11. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. So what happens the moment you die? You're going to be living with him for all eternity. If we suffer, one day we'll also reign with him. If we deny him in front of other people, guess what? He's going to deny us when I pray. I'm going to say, Lord, I need this. The Lord says, you know, you didn't do what I asked. How come you want me to do what you ask? If we believe not, notice the we. If I stop believing, yet he abideth what? Because he cannot deny his nature. His nature is he's faithful. You know, on a husband and wife, when these, this two ooey-gooey loving couple gets married, you know what they both are committing to? A life of commitment to one another. <clears throat> Sickness and in health, uh, good times and bad and rich or poor, heavy on the poor. And uh, when they make a commitment, you know it's going to be tested. But you know, when God made a commitment, he never backs out. He abides faithful. He says, I'm keeping my end of the agreement. You may mess up. You may walk away, but I can't leave you, and I will not ever separate from you. I abide faithful. That's what Jesus said. That's a proof of salvation is eternally secure because he's faithful. How many of you have been faithful all your Christian life, and you've never blown it? How often is he faithful? Always. Third reason. He will finish his work in you. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Back to the left a little bit more. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, which began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Does he quit? He finishes what he starts. Amen. Amen. So the proofs, I, I could give you four dozen. I just threw three of them here. You can throw you can throw all the scriptures you want. None of them can violate those scriptures. He's faithful. He finishes. He promises. You say, yeah, but I, I, I. Why are we talking about you? What do you have to do with your salvation? Absolutely nothing. Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. All right. Now, I told you I was going to get to this. This is quite a humorous list, but people say, well, there are people who've lost their salvation in the Bible. Really? Let's see your list. First one that comes up to mind is a guy named John the Baptist. Let's see how good he was. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If anybody lost their salvation, it was John the Baptist. We know he lost his head, but we'll, we'll hold back there for a minute. Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Now, how many remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus in the crowd, what did he cry out at the top of his lungs? Behold, the Lamb of God was taking away the sin of the world. And he, he said, you're the Messiah. He said, I should be baptized of you. He knew who Jesus was, didn't he? Let's listen to him now. He's been in prison for a couple of months. He's kind of defeated, very discouraged. Let's listen to him here in Luke chapter 7. Verse 19, John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come? Should we look for another? Did, did I miss, did I miss the Messiah? Are you really 
the right guy? And when the men were come unto John, unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come or look for me for another? What has John actually done? He's lost his faith. The one thing that I hear people say that can get you to lose your salvation is if you stop believing that Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior. If you just, if you just can't believe anymore, if you just quit believing. John did. You know what Jesus says about John in the next verse? Let's keep reading. Verse 21, in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. Go remind him, I am. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead hear, the, uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended. Now John was offended, but he wasn't lost. When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John and said, Oh, John, so sad. We lost John today. John lost his faith, so now I have to kick him out of the family. That's not what he said. He says unto all the people, he says, What went you out of the wilderness for to see? Did you go look for a little reed, which is like a weed, shaken with the wind? Nah. What went you out for to see? You saw, did you go looking for a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparel live in delicate, live and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? Do you think you were looking at a prophet when you looked at John? Yea, I see unto you and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, here is John, who is, there is not another, a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He that is least in the kingdom of God is still greater than he in, 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 in the new kingdom. The point being that John didn't lose anything. Jesus just says he's a great guy, even though he lost his faith. Wow. Second guy, Peter. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. In verse 69. Now, just for time, you, you, Peter, Jesus has been taken into the judgment hall. He's being slapped around by the, uh, by the temple guards and he's being, uh, falsely accused. He's being mocked and spit upon. And where's Peter? He's out warming himself by the fire outside of that, that door looking in. And he, he's, he's out there and look down there in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came to him saying, Hey, thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he, number one, denied before them all publicly. He said aloud enough saying, I know not, not what thou sayest. 71. He was gone out, so he leaves there, and he goes out to the porch. Another maid saw him and said to them that were, that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he secondly denied with an oath. He, he made a promise. I do not know that man. And after a while, came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art one of them, one of those disciples, for thy speech bereath thee. Your speech is from Galilee. Then began he to what? I would hope I would never, ever 
in your presence, if I would, I, it would be so grieving for me to ever hear you curse the name of Jesus in my presence. Would you agree? To curse Jesus, and yet he cursed and he sweared, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said to him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Why is he weeping? Because he failed. An absolute failure as a Christian. Would you agree? But he never lost his salvation. Never once. When Jesus rises from the dead and uh, Jesus says to Mary and Martha uh, 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 and the other Marys that are all there at the, at the tomb, he said, go tell my disciples I'm going to meet them up in uh, Galilee and tell Peter to meet me there too. He didn't say, hey, tell Peter I'm coming after him. Jesus never brought up his failure. He only hinted at it one time and he kept asking, do you love me? And then Peter says, yeah, I love you. Uh, do you love me? Three times he asked Jesus, do you love me? So a little tiny dig there, but no condemnation. David, I don't even want to go through there. You know, David did five wicked, unpardonable sins. You ready? He did um, uh, adultery, murder. Uh, he lied to cover it up. There was no remorse until he was caught. Let's see. Oh, and the fifth one was lust. I forgot the first one. He lusted after her. You forget about that one, don't we? He lusted after her. He then took her, committed adultery. He then tried to cover it up and he tried, and he ended up murdering her husband. And then he had no shame about it. He lived with it without any problems until he was caught. You tell me he's okay with God. Yep. Yep. Now, I tell you what, there were repercussions for those sins, but there were repercussions in this life, not in eternity. He didn't get away with one of those sins, but it didn't cost him his soul. You see the difference? If anybody should have lost their salvation, it would have been David, but you know what? You're going to greet David in heaven. How about Abraham? You know what Abraham did? He and his wife going 25 years waiting on God and a promise, and there's no promise and no promise and no promise. Where's the baby? Where's the baby? Where's the baby? I'm not pregnant. It's your fault. It's your fault. I know what to do. I got an idea, Abraham. I mean, what a stupid woman. I got an idea. Let's bypass God and, and we'll fix it for God. Abraham, in a heartbeat, didn't even debate. Says, yeah, let's do it. What are we dealing with? He gave up on God and he says, I guess, God, you're not going to do it your way, so I have to do it my way. Amen. Should have blown it right there. That should have been enough for him to go to hell. Amen. It wasn't. It wasn't. It brought a lot of problems into Israel's life, didn't it? It brought a lot of problems into Abraham's children. We're still reaping it today. But it didn't cost Abraham his soul. Because once saved, always saved. How about the Apostle Paul? You know what Paul writes in Romans 7, 24? He doesn't say, oh, wretched man that I was. That would have been the words of a Pharisee. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Well, then I guess he should go to hell. No, because <laughs> he's saved. He's not perfect, but he's saved. Uh, how many of you remember Moses? Extreme anger. Whew. You ever met an angry man? Like, that man deserves hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Moses. You know what it cost Moses? He couldn't go into the promised land, but he went to heaven. How about one other one? A guy named Aaron. 
Moses takes a few extra days up on the mount, and the people say, we need to go home. Give us another God. Aaron, you're good at making idols. Aaron hadn't made idols in years. And he just right off the bat said, give me your earrings, your nose rings, your armpit rings, whatever you got. Bring them all in. We're going to melt it all down. We're going to make us a cow. I would have thought of another type of a God if I were anything. But a cow, a golden calf, he put that up there, and he says, this is your God's. Let's follow this. He was an idolater, and he caused Israel to go back to idolatry. Shouldn't he have lost his salvation? But he didn't. You know, people who should have lost their salvation are sitting right in this room. Every Christian in this room, you've probably lost... If you could have lost your salvation, you've lost it two dozen times in the last year. (laughs) Aren't you glad you don't? Uh, We were reading a book. It's called Classic Christianity. It's a very good book, but this guy was talking to several different people who believed in you could lose your salvation. Every time he pegged him down and went to the Scriptures, the, the, the pastors would say, you know, I believe just like you, but I can't teach like that because my people expect me to teach you can lose your salvation. Modern Christian confusion is awful, folks. So many Christians are confusing when you listen to them give the gospel. They talk about salvation. They'll talk about God's grace, but they'll, they'll expect everyone to keep it. They're very confusing. It is a false gospel that offers sinners eternal life, forgiveness, adoption, a new birth into God's family, and then go and redefine grace to say, but you got to be good enough to get it. That's a lie. Once saved, always saved is not a license to sin. It's not freedom to do what you want. People think that, oh, you Baptists, you think that you can you can get saved and you can go off and murder somebody. Um, that's not what I teach. It's not how I live. I hope I never get that low, you know. But you know what? If somebody gets saved and is born again and they go off into sin, you better be careful judging them because that finger is going to come back and judge you one day. I noticed this guy. Anybody know who this is? Jimmy Swaggart. And Jimmy Swaggart used to believe that if you ever committed adultery, you've lost your salvation until he committed adultery. He never got up there and says, I just got saved again. No, no, I never said that. Because he knew there's no Bible for it. Matter of fact, if you could lose your salvation, I know I'm going over lots of details, but Hebrews chapter 6 says, if you could lose your salvation, you can never get it again. It's done. So, Either Christ's salvation was enough to keep you saved or it's worthless. Why even get saved if you can lose it? There's so many new doctrines that are out there today that, that just, it, it hurts me. Because Christians believe that Judas lost his salvation. Let me remind you, Jesus said, have I not called you twelve and one of you is a devil? Wasn't even saved. Never got saved. So he didn't lose anything. Some people say that Jesus went to hell. You know, if Jesus, when he said, it is finished, he didn't say his life was finished. He said his work was finished. It is finished. Uh, but I got to go to hell and finish it down there now. No, no, no. He went to paradise. Can you imagine Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, the thief looks at him and says, remember me to get, when you get into your kingdom. Today thou shalt be with me in hell. I wouldn't go. <laughs> what did Jesus say? 
today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But there are religious, I want to be nice, but they are wolves who say that Jesus went to hell. They say that modern Christianity is all about people. So churches are all about, you know, your needs being met, your emotional needs, your physical needs, your 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 um, uh, your marriage needs and your child training needs. Those are all important, but let me tell you, church is about Jesus Christ. But modern churches, all they focus on is us. And the people can be saved and lose it. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 7. You're in Matthew 26. Go to left, find Matthew chapter 7. Give you a good scripture here to think about. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. One of the scriptures that should be one of those scriptures that would teach you can lose your salvation. And it doesn't. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just praying a prayer doesn't get you in. I know 27 prayers, Pastor. You're going to hell as fast as a bullet then. Knowing a prayer doesn't get you saved. Knowing Jesus Christ gets you saved. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? We did great prophecies. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto you, oh, I forgot you. Now what does it say? You never were saved. You never, I never knew you. Depart from ye that work iniquity. Now, not only are modern religions confusing, but modern Bibles are confusing. Listen to this one. This one comes from the Roman Catholic New American Bible, 1970. John 3.16. Is that a good verse? Watch it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but, well, that's a good word may have eternal life. Yeah, well, I'm, I may have it or I may not. Let, let's go on. Is it hard to be saved? Let's look at Mark chapter 10, 24. In the NIV, Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. No. In your good old King James Bible, Jesus answered again and said unto them, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. So which is Right. Is it hard to get saved? No, it's very easy to get saved, unless you're trusting your money. Then it's hard, because it's hard to let go. Here's some more modern Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15, 2, are believers saved, or are they being saved? You ready? And by which, this is from the English Standard Version, which, by the way, just announced last year, they have the perfect Bible. No more changes ever needed, even though they've had four revisions. We are now the perfect Bible. Really? and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, hold fast, the word I preached unto you unless you believed in vain. Boy, that sounds serious. Let's read your King James Bible. By which ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, unless you were flippant and you really didn't mean it. But one is, you are saved. The other one is, you're being saved. Let's take it a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 1.18, saved or being saved. The um, contemporary English version of 1995 says, the message about the cross doesn't make any sense to lost people. But for those of us who are being saved, it is God's power at work. So it's still working. 
the English Standard Version, which I just quoted from just in the previous slide. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How about your King James Bible? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, it is what? But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. Is that pretty clear? Well, I have a new King James pastor. Really, you do. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There it is in your new King James Bible. I'll stick with the old. If you're born again, nothing can now get you to become unborn again. Cannot get you to become lost, unforgiven, condemned again, or headed for hell again once you've been truly born again of the Spirit of God. End of story. Done deal. Let's praise God. Do you know, did you know the devil can't take your salvation away from you? He can't because God won't let him. No sin you commit can cause you to lose it because you got saved in spite of your sin and you definitely are kept in spite of your sin. Failure can't take it away. Pastor, I have failed. I, I, I went back to the old ways. I, I went, I knew I shouldn't have done it and I would. Failure cannot take it away. Confusion and unbelief can't take it away or else dementia patients are all lost. Christ is our righteousness, folks. You better get back to believing that. Christ died and was buried. He rose again. Christ ever lives in intercession for us. He ever lives to intercede on our behalf. When I push the limit and cross the line, he's interceding for me. Now, let me say this. Your conduct can affect your closeness to God, but it cannot affect your relationship with him. He's your father and you're his child. So what happens when a Christian sins? What happens when a Christian sins? Well, let me say this, as I just implied. When a person gets saved, they move from being a sinner under the wrath of God to being a son. Amen. That is a great place to be. I've been born again. I'm now in the family of God. He's my father. I'm his son. You're his daughter. Folks, listen to me. You've moved from being a a, a sinner that is every jot and every tittle is against you to where now, yeah, you mess up. Yes, you sin. Yes, you sin big time. But he cannot condemn his son. He chastens him. Whenever you sin, you can't lose eternal life no matter the sin. But you'll lose just about everything else. Let's look at seven things that you will lose as you sin. First thing you're going to lose, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Remember that illustration, that example I gave you of somebody who should have lost their salvation of David? Just how wicked he was. Well, look at what David writes in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse, uh, verse, right or wrong? 12. Now this is how a charismatic or a Catholic would write it. Restore unto me thy salvation. Is that what he prays? No, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. What do you lose when you start messing around with sin? Oh, I had fun last night. Did you have any joy? Uh, you know, I noticed one thing. The moment you got saved and you tried to go back to the old life, you really had to work at it to try to have fun in the old life now. 
if if a few drinks sort of eased your your night and made made your night enjoyable and with the buddies or whatever, you get saved and then you go back to that, it takes twice the number of drinks. It takes you having to go out of your way just to have a bit of fun like you used to because there's no joy there now. There's joy in being saved. First thing you'll lose when you mess around with sin is joy. Talk it down. And you know it. You just want that pleasure of sin for a season. You'll lose your joy. You know, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit inside of you will grieve you. I mean, it's like he just grabs your heart and squeezes. And you're like, stop it. Stop it. You know, if you claim to be a Christian and you never have a sense of guilt when you mess around with sin, you watch stuff on television, you spend time on your phone or on the Internet, and you have no sense of guilt, then you're not saved. Amen. If you don't lose your joy, then then they had nothing to lose. Secondly, you'll lose God's blessings. God will not bless you when you're living in disobedience. Yeah, you can make a lot of money. You can enjoy your holidays, but none of it will be from the Lord. And it'll be like dust or gravel in the mouth, Proverbs calls it. Just like, eh. The blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. There's no sorrow. There's, when the Lord blesses you, you know it. When you're living in sin and you're messing around with sin and you're hiding your sin, God's not there blessing you. Thirdly, it'll take its toll on you. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. No. I hate that. Maybe it's 1 Peter. Nope. Uh, I don't remember what the verse said. I apologize, but sin will take its toll on you. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is... All right. So the more I sin, the closer I get to death. It'll kill you. Everybody dies because of one reason, sin. Sin came into the world and death by sin, and so... uh, uh, so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. So um, the I wish I had this other verse, but the other verse basically said that when you mess with sin, it wears you out. Sin has a toll on you. You look at somebody who's been smoking for 60 years, if they live that long, but they've been smoking and smoking, it has a toll on them. How old are you? 48. <laughs> he looks 80. Somebody drinking, all of the blood vessels on their face are all burst and red. Somebody who's been living in sin, folks, the, the, the sexually transmitted diseases, the cost of sin. Um, the, uh, the stress that we live under, the cost of sin, it takes its toll. If you want to mess with that, go right ahead. I don't. Sin will take its toll on you. Uh, then comes chastisement. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, these are corrective actions that God does as a parent. If you're his child, he will not let you get away with sin. Think about the difference. 
you sin and I'll kill you. Now, we say that to our kids, don't we? <laughs> you do that and I'll kill you. We don't mean it. But can you imagine God looking at his, his, now looking at the world, you sin and you die for all eternity. Amen? He said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. What does he say to us? You sin and I'll have to get you and I'll have to chasten you and it will not be pleasant. One of them is eternal. One of them is in this life. Look at your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 6. For whom the Lord hates, he chasteneth. Aren't you glad I didn't write the Bible? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth. You know, when I was a kid, we had what was called a whipping. Now, I knew what that meant. Now, some of you got a whipping, and you never want to remember those days. But I deserved a lot more of them. How many of you did too? But this is, this is God chastening. It says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So in God's family, now did you have a favorite, when you were growing up, did you have a favorite, or did you have a sister or a brother that was your parents' favorite? That never got in trouble, and you were the opposite. You got in trouble, you were grounded, you were, you were slapped, you, you were, everything was like, and they just never got in trouble. He hated them. Listen, in God's family, we all get in trouble. What son whom the father chastened? If not, every one of us get chastened. Amen. So you can just chalk it up. If somebody's not being chastened, it may not, it may just be a little bit of time coming, but if they continue to live in sin and they don't get chastened, what can you say? They're not God's child. Because he is not like you and me. That See, I don't need to come in and bring, do you know what Joel did? No, I didn't know what Joel did. I am not aware of everything. He is. Chase, chasten comes along and he fixes us. Now verse 8 says, If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are, of us are partakers, then are ye, look at that Bible word, you're bastards and an illegitimate child. You claim to be God's child, but you're not. You're bastards and you're not sons. You want to mess around with sin? You're going to lose joy. You're going to lose God's blessings. He's not going to be helping you. The devil may be. Sin will take its toll, and then God starts taking his toll. Then God goes silent. I think that's some of the worst. I I hate it when when just just you feel like you're all alone. Now you're not, but he goes silent. Uh Psalm 66, 18 says, When I regard, when I hold on to and love iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He goes, I'm not listening. La, 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 la. I wonder, where are you, God? He goes silent. Oops. And then he works against you. This is the scariest one. Go to James. James chapter 4. Just a few pages. James chapter 4. In verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he, God saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You understand that first part? To resist somebody is, if I had Leo here and I had told him, Leo, I want you to go over there and pick up that milk. Um, and Leo says, okay. But then I stop him. And I resist him. And I push him back. Now you understand what God does to you. If you stay in sin, he starts working against you. You say, well, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying, and he resists you. 
As long as you're thinking you can get away with sin in your life, God resists you. And that's just for pride. What do you think he does when you're messing around with pornography? What do you think he's doing when you're messing around with lies and deceit and you're tricking other people and other things? What do you think he does when you're living in those kind of sins? God works against you. It's nice when he works with you. It's nice when you just feel the breath of God just moving you in the right direction and you're just going with God. But it's awful when you're going against him and he's against you. And lastly, there is sickness and early death. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we won't go there, but just remember in the Lord's Last Supper, Paul says to them, he says, you guys mess around with, with, with at, at the Lord's Supper and you take it flippantly and you come in living in sin and you don't take it seriously. He says, some of you are weak, some of you are, are sickly, and some of you sleep. And he's not talking about in church either. He's talking about early death. It moves that progression. You know when you should stop messing around with sin? When you lose your joy. That ought to be your first indicator light on your dashboard. Loss of joy, loss of joy, loss of joy. Stop, stop. Don't go any further. But you know what's true about all of that? You don't lose hell. You don't lose heaven and go to hell anymore. There's no chance of hell anymore. But all of that is enough to stop a Christian from sinning. Or else God wouldn't waste his time. That's what God does to get our attention and to get us back to him. Hallelujah. He doesn't have to scare me with hell anymore. He already did that. He now scares me with those seven things. I hope that's enough for you too. There's only one other thing that ought to scare you. And that's when we do enter into heaven. (gasps) I made it. I made it. Pastor was right. I didn't lose my salvation. And then you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 14 and finish this up. Romans chapter 14. When you found that, go to Ecclesiastes, all the way in the back. Well, not all the way in the back, but all the way in the Old Testament, just after Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So you got Romans in your right hand, Ecclesiastes in your left. We'll look first at Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 12. If you look at verse 13, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, middle of your Bible, chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Why? Why do I have to worry about living God's way? Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 14 now. I'm not, they don't look at Romans yet, just look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. I'm confusing you, sorry. Hold your place in Romans. You find Ecclesiastes. I don't, yeah. I just didn't put it up there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So when he's talking about us, he's talking about believers. Go to Romans chapter 14. Folks, it matters how you live. 
One of these days, we're going to all stand before the Lord Jesus. And believe me, he is Lord. For, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says this. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why are you spending all your time finding all the faults with everybody else? You ever notice yourself doing that? You know, pastor. Look, look at the pastor. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, he's got some faults. Obviously. But verse 10 says, Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not, or demean thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment. Oh, well, so-and-so, they fell into sin. Be careful. He's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and so will you, buddy. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. What a scary thought. What does that mean? It means uh, in heaven, during the tribulation, while tribulation is going on earth, we're up in heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, judgment seat of Christ. Following the judgment seat of Christ comes the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Then we get happy. <laughs> but we will bow and honor Jesus as Lord of all. And then we'll see everything from God's viewpoint. You know, all the trouble I go through and all the nighttime situations and the valleys. I'm going to look and the Lord's going to show me all the great things that he was doing. But in the times when I was secret and I was sinning and I was nobody knowing, he'll bring those up too. Every secret thing is going to be brought out. We're going to see everything that happened in our lives from God's view and we're going to be freaked uh, did you know good works counted after your salvation, not before? Here's somebody who dedicated their life to helping lepers all their life, but they never got born again. Guess what? Didn't help them one second out of hell. A person who gets born again and just fixes tea has a reward for it when they do it for the Lord. You say, well, that's nothing compared to giving their life, helping out lepers. I know that. And I feel for somebody who thought that by doing good works, they'd earn their way to heaven. But you can't. And by the way, the person making tea isn't making their way to heaven either. They're just earning rewards. They're just one day, nobody comes along and says, thank you, thank you, thank you for always doing this. Nobody ever says that to him, but one day the Lord's going to say, thank you for fixing all that tea. And you'll melt and fall on your face and go, unworthy, unworthy. Your good works count after salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the... Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So my works, which I would boast about, don't matter for my salvation. For we are his workmanship, created unto or for the purpose of good works. So I got saved so I can do good works. And the Lord notices those things. So all our works as Christians will be judged openly by Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 and verse 12. Jesus speaking, and behold, I come quickly. You won't see him coming. All those telescopes looking in outer space are looking for asteroids and looking for planetoids and looking for galaxies. When Jesus appears, he'll come so fast, it will blind them. Behold, I come quickly, and my what? And my reward for you is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3.11. Do you realize all your actions and your attitudes are going to be exposed? God's going to actually take the time to, to play the tape. That's what we used to say. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about when I say play the tape. But the old, uh, up in heaven, I still think they got videotape. Amen. It was a play the tape and up on that big screen for all of heaven to see your thoughts, your attitudes, the rolling eyes. Yeah, boy. And everybody's going to watch and you're going to be up at front and you're going to feel so humiliated while he says, let's hear what he's thinking. And out come your thoughts. Let's see you watch that girl. Now let's hear what you're thinking. I mean, you are going to want to run. Let us all... Stop judging one another and worry about ourselves because we will stand there at the judgment of Christ. And the Bible says there, his reward is with him to judge every man's work. What you did for Christ, all your efforts, all your sacrifices, all your struggles are going to be rewarded. Amen. You know, But when the Lord gave you gifts and blessings, God invested a second life in you, a whole new life, and he said, now what would you do with it? What would you do with that? There's going to be the loss of rewards. Probably the most terrifying thought of this thing is, say for 15 years you lived your life for the Lord and you served God and you were faithful and you sacrificed and you did without and you just loved people and let them walk all over you and you just gave and then you got fed up and you quit on God, quit on church, never read your Bible anymore. Bing, bing, all of those rewards start knocking off the shelf and the Lord takes them all away. You are going to kick yourself around the New Jerusalem when you realize how many rewards you've lost because of some stinking bad choice you made that the devil got you to make after you were chalking them up. Go to one more. I said 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I build my life on him. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, then he gives another three, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work, not his soul, but every man's work shall be made manifest. God's going to look at your works, your efforts. For the day, the day of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's soul. No, your work, your soul is already saved, folks, but your work's got to go through a trial. Shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You burn hay, what happens to it? It's gone. You heat up gold, what happens? It just gets purer. So your works are either gold, silver, or precious stones, which are beautiful and just get more beautiful, or wood, hay, and stubble and burn up. Watch it. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, talking about his life work, your career. If you put your career ahead of God, I pity you. Because your rewards, all that effort, I spent 87 hours a week doing my career. I had I had a luxury house in Spain, France, Belgium, and South Africa. And you get to heaven, the Lord burns them up and says, what would you do for me? And you go, um, and you got nothing to show for your life. You lose it all. 
Keep going. Every man's work, verse 13, shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, if it's still there after the fire which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss of the reward, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Folks, there's no purgatory, but there is judgment. And the Lord's going to play back and show 99% of our life was lived, lived selfishly and wrongly. But he's trying to look and trying to find if anything was done for him and any little sacrifice you made, any little um, uh, effort that you put into trying to honor him, soul win for him, uh, uh, love people in spite of them, and, and serve others for him, anything you did, he'll say, here, here's a reward. And it will blow you away and you'll say, why didn't I do more? Because everything else will be a wash. A couple of weeks ago, somebody says, how do you get all that washed off? Just constantly confess it. He's faithful to, uh, to, wash, to cleanse us and forgive us of every sin. After we're saved, if we bring it for the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for that, he removed. So on the tape, there'll be blank spots where he deletes sections. Hallelujah. And everybody will say, well, what we miss? And he says, it's under the blood. Amen, amen. You better do a lot of confessing, a lot of forsaken <laughs> as a Christian. It won't send you to hell, but it sure will embarrass you. Like I said, you'll either receive rewards or you'll experience the loss of those rewards. We're all going to give an account. You know what it means to give an account? You have to answer for it. You're going to have to explain yourself. And you know what you'll be able to do? Nothing. You won't be able to justify one thing that he's found wrong in your life. He's going to say, go ahead and try to explain to me why you left your wife, why you left your your uh, that church, and why you quit reading your Bible, and why you wouldn't give out that gospel, and you're going to go, I can't say anything. It'll be humiliating. Folks, we're never going to get away with sin. Did any of that just give you the freedom to want to go sin? Do you now just feel like, I can go and kill somebody. <laughs> I hope that put the fear of God in you. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll finish this up. Because that's where I want to leave you with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 11. For we must all appear, there it is again, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the joy of the Lord. What's that big word there I just murdered? <laughs> Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see a Christian and they're going off into sin? You know the terror of the Lord. You know what they're going to have to face. Stop them. Pray with them. Talk to them. Beg them. Go into prayer for them. They probably have no idea what they're getting into. Persuade them. Don't do it. Don't pick up that bottle. Don't go back that same way. Don't do it. Persuade them. We persuade men. We're made manifest unto God. And I trust also made manifest in your conscience saying that you see our sincerity. Folks, you, you say, you still fear God? You better believe I fear God. He didn't stop being God when I got saved. Amen. 
There's enough that I lose when I mess around with sin. I don't want to lose anymore. I hope you're the same. Folks, we've all sinned and we deserve God's judgment. I hope you understand that. We're guilty as hell, as we used to say. Yet God did all the necessary work to give you... How do you say it? How do you, how do you understand eternal life? I've been given a life, and Jesus called it life more abundant than you can imagine. And it's all found in Him. You didn't find it in this church place. You don't find it in, in some um, uh, religious... Uh, uh, what do they call it where they go on a pilgrimage? You find it in Jesus Christ. It is once for all, instant, eternal, and secure. They that have been saved will remain saved always and forever. How's that sound to you? I mean, somebody telling me I need to get saved. Am I going to stay saved? I'm not going to ever tell them, it's up to you. No. I'm going to say, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. So I'm going to blow it. I know you will, and Jesus knows you will too, but he's big enough to handle it. If I wasn't saved this morning, if I was standing up here and I had any doubt, I'd get saved today because now is the day, man. Don't wait for tomorrow. It may not come. And then, and then live for Christ. There's no better retirement plan than heaven. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Anybody who willingly, humbly repents of sin, just turns towards the cross, trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, from that moment is saved. So how can it be that easy? It was made that easy so anybody could get saved. Are you that anybody? I hope you don't... The rest of us, talking to the Christians, I hope you don't think that in any way you have a freedom to sin there's no freedom to sin. But there's no condemnation either. God will put heavy pressure on you. He will stop you or he will bring you home early and unpleasantly. Moses died early. He didn't get to fulfill his mission. Aaron died early. Ananias and Sapphira died early before their time. They didn't go to hell, but they didn't finish their mission. They didn't get to do what they were supposed to do. They didn't get to live out the rest of their life. Don't join them. Don't join them thinking, well, I guess I can live any way I want. No, you can't. Before you were saved, you were of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father, you do. Well, now I'm saved. Why don't you do the will of your new father? Happiest people in the world are those whose people are the Lord, whose God is the Lord, it says. Father, I just ask you to prick hearts to today. Settle this question. Secure or safe or saved by the grace and the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to live for him now. I'm not my own anymore. I'm supposed to glorify you with my body and with my spirit. And I get to. I don't do it in my own strength. I do it by the power of the Holy Spirit that now dwells inside of me. And I want to. Oh, I want to live differently. Pray that you'd help us to shake away all of the scales from our eyes and all this confusion, and we stick with our old King James Bible, and we stick with the real doctrine. Lord, I'm saved so I can sacrifice and suffer and struggle serving you, and when I blow it, I'll be okay, because you're still the same yesterday, day, and forever. You don't stop being my Savior. Thank you. 
I pray you bless your people this morning. If there should be something we'd do today, I pray that we'd take a fist of tracks and say, Lord, we got a good gospel. Let's go give it to somebody. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.